Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, in our downtown studios in Providence. Uh, it's a Tuesday afternoon, and I'm joined by, from Fox Providence and WPRI 12, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we living? The calendar flipped to March, and my birthday's in this month, Bill, but I hate this month, other than college basketball. Why? Why do you hate this we've month? Got, we've got negative 10 wind chill outside right now. Oh, boy. A, a, a a, a reminder that winter has not left yet. Uh, outside, you see, you know, you have a couple 40-degree days, 50-degree days. But, man, is it cold. Thank you know, God college hoops is heating up. Most people would say that I'm not the ray of sunshine. Uh, <laughs> but generally, you just rained all over everything. I, I'm somewhat surprised that uh, a Philly guy who would be tough, you consider himself tough oh, like yourself, would, would, be, would be going soft like this to start <laughs> off. I, I am somewhat surprised. I'm just not a cold. I'm just I just don't like the cold that much, especially well, when the wind the wind whips and I couldn't really it. sleep last night. Yeah. Um. Ugh, the wind chill, brutal, well, brutal today. The the good news is that uh, you know once college basketball is over, um, I think I'll be taking a little time off. I would imagine that uh, you might be able to find a warmer climate for yep. a few days. Try to. Uh, you know, ideally, could drive somewhere safely. Um, you know, maybe hit the Carolinas or something like that and yeah. You know, get a little 70 degree weather, break out the golf clubs. Yep. I'm I'm talking myself into this right now. I actually. broke them out Sunday. Great great spot. X Golf in Lincoln. Okay. It's um a strip club for golf. Really? Yes. Six lanes and you have a bar. And I have a video on my phone. It's basically there's some there's a controller where you can punch a ball out. The ball comes up from underneath the turf, yep. pops up rises on the tee it's already teed up ready to go you can play any course in the country uh so we ended up playing beth page black oh um putting is actually fairly similar mm-hmm. um and and it's and it was great it was awesome i should have worn shorts in there because i went in and like some pants and like a sweater and i was sweating my uh rear end off right but uh no it was a blast so yeah if we ever want to go up there maybe we do a pod from up there that means that we would officially endorse strip clubs, and I don't know if well, necessarily we want to do that. That was for lack of a better term. Okay. But uh, a bowling alley for golf. How about that? That's better. Cool. Much better. Much more family-friendly. <laughs> okay. uh, my bosses here at the Journal might approve that, actually, an on-site location uh, if we do pitch it as family-friendly. Um, we do have, you know, as we mentioned, March is here. It is the best month of the year for college hoops. Uh, one of my favorite months on the sports calendar uh, for me the first two days of the NCAA tournament are my favorite two days of the year in, in sports. Um, you know, Generally, if one of our teams isn't playing, uh, you can find me with some friends somewhere uh, with some cold beverages and, and the Twitter machine fired up. Uh, you know, and generally, I'm just enjoying the games from start to finish. Um, you know, and we are reminded how close we are to that. Uh, with the start of conference tournaments this week, uh, the Atlantic 10 will kick off on Wednesday, uh, you or I will be in action on Thursday, 3.30, on NBC Sports Network against Dayton. Um, a round of, of 16 game, I guess you could say. It's not a quarterfinal game, but but the one before. Uh, you or I will face off against Dayton. Uh, Dayton, the 7 seed. You or I, the 10 seed. Um, you or I was locked into that spot after their regular season finale, an 86-75 loss at Duquesne. Uh, Dayton is a bit of a surprise as the seven uh, Atlantic 10 wrapped up their regular season on Monday, and we had a serious shuffling of the pack with a couple of results there. Richmond fell from a top-four seed all the way to eight with a home loss to St. Joe's. St. Louis jumped all the way up to four from the 6-7 range with a home win over UMass. Uh, And so as we sit here now, the A-10 bracket in front of us, St. Bonaventure, the regular season champion, they will be the number one seed. VCU is the two. Davidson, the three. St. Louis, the four. They all have a double bye to the quarterfinals. Uh, From there, UMass, the five. George Mason, the six. Dayton, the seven, playing Rhode Island, the ten. Richmond, all the way to eight, playing Duquesne, the nine. Uh, the first day matchups uh, on Wednesday will be George Washington, the 11, against Fordham, the 14. LaSalle, the 12, against St. Joe's, the 13, the all-Philadelphia matchup there. Uh, Maury, just looking at Rhodey and, and their potential path, uh, they split with Dayton this year. 
a road loss and a home win in double overtime on senior night. That home win over the Flyers is the only win for the Rams since January 27th. Uh, They've lost six out of the last seven going into this. They've had their two worst defensive efforts of the season going into this against George Washington and against Duquesne. What sort of chance do you give the Rams to make any noise this week in Richmond? Well, if you're a glass-half-full kind of a person and, and you're David Cox talking to your team, you say, hey, yeah. Dayton and VCU, the first potential two opponents in the A-10 tournament, we've beaten. We've taken care of. Um, could have had three or four uh, against VCU at home. So the proof is in the pudding. Rhode Island can beat either one of these teams. However, we don't know the injury status yet of Jeremy Shepard as we tape this on Tuesday afternoon. Yep. Uh, we're still about 48 hours away from tip time. If he, A lot depends on, on his health. Um, if he can play then they can go beat Dayton. They can go beat VCU. Bones Highland is injured. Um, as good as Dayton has been and, and a couple good road wins at St. Louis, at St. Bonaventure like they did on Monday night, they've also coupled that with some pretty bad losses mm-hmm. uh, at LaSalle, at Fordham earlier in the year. So they're a little Jekyll and Hyde as well as Rhodey. So it just depends which teams come out, play well. Um, both teams have a senior guards. We know how much how, how guard-dominated the league is and how important guards are in postseason play. Um, so I think Rhode Island has a decent chance. I think when you look at it from a reality standpoint, I think you have to wipe all offense off the table, and it has to be solely focused on the defensive end. Uh, one of the worst performances to wrap up the year against Duquesne. Um, we knew that they were locked into the 10 seed. You just wanted to feel confident in something going into the Atlantic 10 tournament, and I don't really think we got that. Right. Uh, an 86-75 loss, as we said. Uh, worst field goal defense played by URI this season. Most points allowed per possession by URI in a game this season. Um, you know, really struggled out in Pittsburgh. Uh, Duquesne had four players in double figures. Marcus Weathers had a career night, uh, 28 points, which was a new career high, 14 rebounds, which matched a career high. URI just couldn't find anyone to play against him. He's a unique guy in that he's 6'5", and he plays a little bit on the perimeter, but he's really a power forward. Uh, so if you put a smaller man on him, he's going to be a bully. You put a larger man on him, he can pull him out into space, take him off the dribble. Um, you know, and they just couldn't find a way to stop him. Uh, you know, and some other guys popped up, obviously, and, and helped out. Chad Baker had another really good game against Rhode Island, uh, 21 points. He's now 8 for 9 against them from 3 uh, this season. Thankfully, I guess, if you or I, you wouldn't see Duquesne until the A-10 finals. Uh, and so you don't have to deal with them again since you've lost your two trips to Pittsburgh. Um Maury, I agree with you. I, I look at URI and I think if Jeremy Shepard is somehow healthy, um, you know that obviously increases their chances of, of winning at least one game. He's dealing with a right ankle injury. It happened late in the first half against Duquesne. You could see it. Uh, there was a, a shot taken. Uh, he was coming in from the weak side, tried to grab a rebound, came down and sort of hobbled his way over the baseline off the floor. That was with about four and a half minutes left in the first half. We didn't see him again. The broadcast crew in Pittsburgh reported seeing him on crutches at halftime. Um, so realistically, even if he does find a way to suit up against Dayton, he is not going to be 100% in that game. Um, you look at what Rhodey was able to do uh, against the Flyers in, in the most recent matchup. Uh, as you said, they're down 18 with 9.44 to go. They, they stage a comeback that they won't forget for a long time. They win the game in double overtime. They have five players in double figures. Fats Russell has 20 in that game and seven assists, uh, playing 45 minutes. Um, but Shepard was a huge factor in that game. He had 17 points, six rebounds, four assists, no turnovers, also in 45 minutes. So how do you replace his contribution against Dayton? It's not as much about who Dayton is and what they're about because they are fallible. They do turn the ball over. Um, you know, They are young in, in most spots. Uh, this is a team that we'll probably see the best of next year, the year after, and that's all due respect to, to Jalen Crutcher, who's a wonderful player, uh, but the core around him isn't anywhere near as experienced as previous Dayton teams. Um, but I, I would prefer to put the focus on URI's performance, on what they're capable of doing, um, you know, on what they're capable of producing at the offensive end without Shepard, um, you know, how capable they might be of taking away what Dayton wants to do on the defensive end. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it you can, it can start with Ish Leggett uh, stepping up in, in Shepard's absence. Has been fairly efficient all season long, especially in the, the most recent win against Dayton. 
uh, was six for eight from the floor and hit five threes. Didn't turn the ball over in 40 minutes and had 18 points against a, a pretty good backcourt uh, for the Flyers. So I think he, he's somebody who can step up right away. Um, but if, if you're going to lose offense, I think you have to make it up in defense. And that's what I talked about at the top. I, I think it's going to take a really good defensive effort. Uh, Rhode Island hasn't gotten run out of the gym against anybody this year. David Cox has alluded to that. Uh, they've been in every game. But in order to uh, – w- when, you, when you have these offensive lulls at times, the way that you keep yourself afloat is by having getting stops on the defensive end, uh, getting to the foul line, uh, doing the little things right when shots aren't falling. And, and that's just something that Rhode Island has to focus on. Um, you know, whether it's a, a one, two, two, three quarter court uh, trap to try to slow down the opposition, have them start with about 15 seconds on the shot clock. You're not defending for as long. Uh, you're making them work a little bit harder to come up the court. Try something different. Let's see if something sticks. Um, but, you know, and then, and then the other thing, the other side of it offensively is if you're going to talk about, you're going to need Fats Russell to be what he was last year. Right. Um, you're going to need him to be, you know, efficient for the most part. Uh, you're going to need him to get to the line. Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of success Rhode Island has is when he gets to the line. He got to the line 16 times in that game against Dayton. Yep. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but he got to the line a ton of times against Duquesne this this past weekend. Um, didn't convert as much as he normally does from there. He's a pretty solid free throw shooter, around 80. Uh, percent Maybe a little bit more, but um, yeah. So you're going to need Fats to to be exceptional. Um, and then the turnovers have been have gotten a lot better. Uh, the last couple weeks. They were a major point of, of emphasis early on in the season. So it seems like Rhode Island is taking care of the ball a little bit more and then making the most of those opportunities when they don't turn the ball over. Yeah, only eight turnovers against Duquesne. Their problems in that game were not on the offensive end. Uh, you know, They were on the defensive end. They just didn't guard. Um, you're looking at a possible replacement for Shepard's minutes. I, I think if you're going to take a defense-first philosophy, you turn to Malik Martin. Most likely you, you have Fats Russell ish Leggett, and then your third guard is is probably going to be Malik Martin. Uh, he's been good in his last three games, uh, starting with Dayton. Uh, you know, had six points, five rebounds, two steals, two block shots in that game. Uh, he was one of the guys out there in the overtime periods uh, when you or I cut their rotation essentially to six players uh, against Duquesne the other night. Had ten points. He was six for six at the line, six rebounds, a block, and a steal in twenty nine minutes. Pretty good, you know. Reasonable amount of sweat equity there, um, you know. Could be something that plays when you get into the tournament setting. Um, you know, as you mentioned, though, obviously, this looks like the last ride for Fats Russell. Any of these games could be his last uh, at URI, the last of a, a really strong four-year career. Uh, he's one of four players now in program history with 1,500 points and 400 assists. Uh, the other guys on that list are, are all-time greats. You're looking at. Tommy Garrick, Silk Owens, Tyson Wheeler. Um, you know whether or not you you want to say that Fats is equivalent to those players in terms of his legacy at URI. You can debate that on your own time. Uh, I would just take a step back and, and appreciate the player that he was here. Uh, the fact that he is the all-time steals leader. Uh, the fact that his numbers say that he was a great player here. Um, whether or not he is an all-time great, whether or not he's in the you know all-time starting five or you know, all-time first 10 or, or whatever, I think you're just you're parsing degrees of greatness at that point. I, I think you can just take a step back and say that he has earned his place in, in URI history. Uh, and if they are going to do anything in this tournament in regards to winning three days and th- three games in three days and, and getting to Dayton ultimately for Championship Sunday, he's likely going to be the guy who has to lead you there. Yeah, and this is this podcast isn't going to turn it into that again. Um, you know, we talked about his his legacy after Senior Night and what he did against Dayton, and um, you know his last game at the Ryan Center, and everybody knows how talented he is. Uh, but yes, he's going to have to be. Um, He's going to have to have some of his best basketball uh, these next couple days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if, if Rhode Island wants to make noise. And there is a path there for them. Uh, it's just now, can Rhode Island go go take it and go play well? Uh, you just have to be a little bit realistic if you're a roadie fan. You've lost six of seven. You haven't looked great. Um, and the one win in there was um, one that you can't ever really expect to happen again. So when you've only beaten LaSalle and you've only beaten Fordham in the last seven weeks of the season 
You have to understand kind of where your team is at. Doesn't mean you can't turn back the clock and play like you did against St. Bonaventure, play like you did at VCU, uh, play like you did, you know, early maybe uh, at, at Mohegan Sun against a, an OK South Florida team and, a, and an OK C, um, San Francisco club. But um, you just have to understand. You have to kind of temper the expectations. But uh, the path is there. There there are teams that Rhode Island can beat uh, if they play a solid 40 minutes and then do it twice and then do it three times uh, i might look at the bracket you know just having a look at it at large uri is in the bottom half um which i think most people would look on paper and say that it is the weaker of the two halves um you know you're looking at the top half the one seed with saint bonaventure um saint joe's has won three in a row i, I make them a very live dog if they can get by LaSalle. i make them a live dog against umass oh yeah i, I don't think much of umass at all I, i've been pretty clear on that throughout the season um you know i just i i just don't think they're very good um you know i i I think they're somewhat disorganized and don't love the style they play and i think st joe's could catch them at the right time if they can get by the explorers uh st louis i'd be really afraid of uh richmond was another preseason favorite they are hurt blake francis suffered a back injury against st joe's grant golden is playing uh, with a broken bone in his left hand. Um, so they are far from 100%, but you wonder, you know, you have so many older players there. They know their only chance is to win the tournament and get to the NCAAs. Uh, so you wonder what sort of desperation they will muster playing in their hometown. Um, you know, they could still be dangerous this week. Uh, St. Bonaventure, I, I wonder if they can win back-to-back days uh, because their rotation is so small. They're really playing six and a half guys. But if you look at what they've done to win their first regular season championship in the A-10 in program history, uh, it's another great job by Mark Schmidt. Uh, they do have elite players in Kyle Lofton and Osun Osuni, um, you know, So you cannot discount their abilities. Uh, that's the top half. The bottom half, where URI resides, playing Dayton, who, who won their regular season finale at St. Bonaventure. Dayton, of course, dangerous in this field. Um, you know, but Dayton, a younger team, a turnover-prone team, you can catch them in certain nights. They're not going to come out and beat your brains in. It's not a team that's physically insurmountable in, in any way. Um, VCU, as we said, is hobbled. Bones Highland suffering from a foot sprain. If he's not 100%, he's really the only elite offensive option they have. They struggle to score without him. Uh, you could see in their loss at Davidson over the weekend, you know, they just could not put the ball in the basket in the second half playing without Bones Highland. Um, George Mason, who has the now three-time Rookie of the Week, Tyler Kolick, the Cumberland native, uh, who's had a, a really good freshman season for the Patriots. You would expect to see him on the all-freshman team when that is released uh, at some point. I think it'll be on Wednesday, most likely, before the games kick off. Uh, and then George Washington and, and Fordham. In the bottom half, uh, you know George Washington, capable of scoring with James Bishop and Jamison Battle, but it's really a, a two-man team for the most part. Uh, Fordham, incidentally, is the only team that I picked correctly in my preseason poll, uh, and and it doesn't really take much to put Fordham <laughs> last. Uh, so shame on me for my one through fourteen predictions. Uh, I was nowhere close. I would imagine most of my fellow media members weren't all that close either. Nope. This was wild the way it shook out. It was. It was. Yeah. It's. It's. And you're right. Rhode Island is is definitely on the easier side of the bracket um, in terms of experience, in terms of uh, talent. Um, so yeah. So we'll have to see. It'll be fun. I mean, it's great. It's great when I think I mentioned this the last time I was on. We're we're right at that point of the season now where there's morning and afternoon hoops. You don't have to wait until five o'clock. You yeah. don't have to wait until seven o'clock for a tip. You can roll right out of bed and, and there's games on at 11 a.m. Uh, so while you're brunching it up, you know, on the weekend or if you work from home, you can have the game on in the background or, or have it on the radio. However, you, however you choose to uh, to digest your hoops and your and your sports scene. But uh, it's just a great time, and I think it's just important that we enjoy it. I can't believe it's been a full year since we were at the Ryan Center. I think it was March 3rd last year, Dayton came to town. Or maybe March 3rd was the St. Louis game, the last regular season game. I forget the date. Anyway, it was the first time that we were asking David Cox, Jeff Doughton, Cyril Langevin, Fats Russell, hey, what if you can't go to Brooklyn? 
what happens if you can't play in the A10 tournament? What? What are you talking about? You know, no chance. We're playing. Uh, we'll play without fans. We want to get the game in. You know, and that, and at that point, Rhodey was on the bubble, and and maybe a few wins in the Atlantic 10 tournament uh, would have put them in. Now we're here. We didn't get an Atlantic 10 tournament last year. We didn't get conference championship games last year. So I think it's just important that we kind of keep that in perspective as well, uh, regardless of the wins and losses. No, it's it's really good perspective, Maury, and it, and it leads us you know, to our next topic, which is, is an unfortunate one, uh, and that has to do with Bryant, um, who was supposed to play tonight against Mount St. Mary's, uh, also Wednesday against Mount St. Mary's in their final Northeast Conference series of the season. Those won't happen. Those two games have been canceled. Uh, Bryant has had another positive COVID-19 test within their peer one, uh, within their Tier 1 group. Um, they have been shut down at, at this point in terms of the regular season. Uh, the Northeast Conference is still deciding what to do in terms of their postseason format. The semifinals are supposed to be held on Saturday. The championship game is supposed to be March 9th. Uh, really unfortunate for Bryant, who already had a COVID-19 pause, who did not play between January 31st and February 20th. They came back to win four straight games, two against Merrimack, two against Long Island. Uh, Bryant was one win away from clinching their first NEC regular season title in program history. Uh, they look like they were trending towards their first NCAA tournament berth in program history. And now, because of COVID-19, because of where we were a year ago, because of the reality that we have lived throughout the past year, uh, Bryant finds their postseason very much in doubt. Uh, as we tape this, we, we have no word on whether or not the Bulldogs will be allowed to play whether it be with a reduced roster, reduced coaching staff, whatever it may be, they're still going through testing and contact tracing. But, uh, you know, Maury, just unfortunate. And, you know, just the latest reminder that uh, the virus plays no favorites and it is still very much a factor in our society. Devastating news for the Bulldogs. Just devastating considering the, the year they've had. Three years ago, they were a three-win team. Now they're 14-5, and five. chance to win the league, chance to have home games. Um and and they under you know they understood hey you know no one nobody's really going to be able to have fans they don't have fans there, but it's still going to be a quite quite the accomplishment to host an NEC semifinal game potentially host an NEC championship game, um, so just just devastating news for Jared Grosso and his club you hope you know those that are affected by the virus are healthy, um, and can come back, but uh, yeah just just awful news um, for them considering the season they've had. Um, and their history in Division One, uh, they, they made some a lot of noise as a Division Two club. Went to a national championship game. They did. Um, but uh, yeah, this is really this is their best season so far to date uh, in their 12-year Division One basketball history. And uh, unfortunately, right now it hangs in the balance. But while we wait for the Bryant um, COVID situation to, to kind of run its course. Wagner, who's right now currently in second place, plays Merrimack two games, Tuesday, Wednesday. If Wagner loses one of those, I believe, then Bryant, uh, due to percentage points, due to the tiebreaker situation, um, would be your regular season champion. Uh, and if you and if they could eventually get through COVID uh, and were allowed to play in the playoffs, they would have home court. Um, so I think while Bryant's on the back burner for now, and we kind of wait to hear how that situation plays out. You can at least, if you're a Bulldog fan or a fan of Rhode Island basketball, root for Merrimack uh, to knock off Wagner uh, so that Bryant at least can win the NEC regular season championship uh, and then whether or not they can play in the postseason is another story. Yeah, it was really important wording from the from the Northeast Conference in their statement announcing these positive tests. They said that Bryant's status for the postseason was yet to be determined. Uh, they did not immediately rule them out, uh, and they could have. With a 7-10 to 10 day pause, uh, as mandated by the NCAA, uh, the Northeast Conference could have just decided that Bryant would not compete in their men's basketball tournament. They did not do that. Um, you know, so there still appears to be some sort of window for the Bulldogs to get on the floor. Uh, what version of them that would be, we don't know. And I don't think they would even care. No. No, they wouldn't. No. No, they wouldn't. I'm sure they would just like the opportunity to play to finish it on the floor. Um you know they will not disclose, and and we don't expect them to disclose the identities of the folks who, or or player, person, uh, you know, coach, manager, whoever it may be, folks in their tier one personnel who did test positive, whether it's one person, multiple people, 
we don't know that either. Um, it would sort of be, you know, if they're able to get on the floor for a semifinal game, it would sort of be attend in person and then take attendance. Uh, you know, it'd be like, you know, when you're in class, when you're a little kid and they take attendance before everyone. Um, you know, we'd sort of be looking at, okay, which player is out here for warm-ups? Is Jared Grasso on the sidelines? Is Phil Martelli on the sidelines? You know, what's happening here? Yeah. Uh, you know, be very much, uh, you know, just night of game, figuring out who's out there. Uh, but you're looking at Bryant, and, uh, you know, you're looking at the potential one seed in the league, mainly because of the work that they did the last two weekends. Um, the fact that they have been able to show different ways, different pathways to winning, uh, that they've been able to shift gears in these games, I, I think has been the most encouraging development of their season. They've never been 14-5 and five through 19 games. Uh, and what made this team unique, you know, as we look at it, they, they sort of look like one-trick ponies going into January. Everything was up and down and fast-paced. And over the second half of the year, they have found a way to execute in half-court situations, to grind it out, to defend you. Um, you know, the two games against Long Island couldn't have been more different. The first one's 87-80, a track meet. The second one is 63-60, a tractor pull. Um, you know, and you're looking at Bryant being able to win both styles of games. It, it really says a lot about who they are, how good they are, and how well coached they are under Jared Grasso. And to come from behind as well. Um, yes, so. 16-1 run in the last six and a half minutes of that second game. Yeah, no, a lot of different ways they've won. Um, so no, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see if they can come back, who they have, uh, how they can play, and then if if there's any hope um, in Bryant winning, it's they've won four games after their first COVID pause this season. Right. Another COVID pause. Maybe they can. They don't need to win four this time. They only need to win just two. Two. Uh, so and you'll have that. and you'd have as they're scheduled now. You'd have two days off in between. Sure. So if you needed to play. A six-man rotation, seven, right, and then maybe get a couple guys back. You'd get forty-eight hours to rest your legs. Maybe right. you get a player or two back. You know, right. if they have multiple positives, something like that. Oh, this time of year, it doesn't matter. Even if you have five guys, are on adrenaline. Yeah, uh, forty-eight hours more than enough time. Kids are eighteen to twenty-two years old. Um, yeah, no, I don't think if it, if it was back to back like an eight ten, like a Big East, I think that's kind of where the conversation comes into play. But that's tough. Saturday, Tuesday, I think you're Saturday, Tuesday, or Saturday, Monday. Saturday, Tuesday. Saturday, Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. And Saturday's games, if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty, I think are 11 a.m., 2 p.m. are the semis. Okay. Championships Tuesday night. Right. So if you're, de- if, you're the, if you're the one seed, usually the one seed plays the earliest games to have the, quote, most time to so rest. So an extra half day, yeah. So an extra half day, and, and you eat up every single hour. You're in, the, you're in the pool. You're with your strength and conditioning coach. You're, you're icing your knees. You're laying up in bed. Uh, you're getting a ton of carbs in your body. So... Um, yeah, I think I think I don't think it would matter uh, in terms of when you're playing those games. As long as they have five bodies, you can expect the Bulldogs to be in action if they're given the green light. As it stands now, uh, the Northeast Conference field, which which was already uh, lessened from eight to four, uh, because they were anticipating COVID problems, uh, and they decided to reconfigure their tournament months ago. Uh, Bryant would be the one seed as we sit here now. Wagner the two. Mount St. Mary's the three, Sacred Heart the four. Those four teams are locked in. Merrimack is not postseason eligible. Uh, they are still technically transitioning to Division I. Uh, they would be fourth as we sit here right now, but they are not eligible, um, so they will not be included. If Bryant is ultimately disqualified, if they're not allowed to compete, you have LIU and St. Francis Brooklyn, who are tied at 9-9, nine and nine, potentially a reprieve for one of those two schools to be the four seed, I'd be fascinated to see what the Northeast Conference does in terms of tiebreakers. Uh, you know, in terms of maybe they force them to have a one-game playoff. You know, they're they're within short bus fare of each other. Uh, maybe you put them in a neutral gym in Queens or in Brooklyn and say, "All right, guys, here's the four seed." You know, and you send them out there on Thursday and say, "Go ahead, Bryant's not going to be able to field the team." You know, let's have you guys play off to get in. Uh, I'm sure that. The league is, is working on that as we speak, uh, and a lot smarter people than me are, are making those decisions. Um, the other thing I would look at, Maury, and, and obviously these schedules are dictated by TV. Uh, the Northeast Conference wants its championship game 
on TV, ESPN and, and CBS and Fox Sports and, and everyone else are lining up to broadcast these tournaments, these title games. Uh, that's why you're locked in to this Saturday-Tuesday format. Um, I wonder if the league has been in touch with ESPN about potentially another championship window later in the week. And potentially you push the semifinals back a couple days and somehow you manage to play Thursday. You know, maybe that could help Bryant or some other teams either get a little extra rest or, in the Bulldogs' case, have a couple more guys cleared, you know, from contact tracing, potentially testing negative. I, I'm sure that the league is looking at all possibilities to try to get the Bulldogs back on the floor. I, I think that's really important if you are a Bryant fan, you know, and going back to what I said initially, the fact that they just haven't disqualified them immediately. They have left the door open for Bryant to potentially play again. There's a chance. There's a chance, and it'll be interesting to see. We'll probably get our answer in the next 72 hours, I would say, you know, pro- probably by the end of the week, Thursday, Friday-ish, um, especially before Saturday. As of right now, the semifinals are still then, so we'll see. Still then and still here, uh, Bryant would play those games, semifinal games, in their home gym. Uh, I think they're hosting all four teams, correct? Those are going to be at one location? Um, Are they? I or, thought so. Or does the two seed get the ho- or does the two seed get a game at home? Is it just the higher seed? I have not seen a bracket. Okay. So potentially the two seed could be playing at home. I don't know that. Um, I should know that, but I don't. Apologies to our listeners. Um, but I, I would think though, you know, Bryant is going to be playing both games at home if if it, you know, if they are able to take the court. I, I think that's going to be if they're the one seed. Yep. How it shakes out, um, you know, which means. As you said, your own bed, your own training room, um, you know, your own chance to get healthy and, and well, uh, you know, and we just want to see them compete. You you want to see the season end on the floor. Uh, you know, even last year, before the COVID pause, uh, Bryant played at St. Francis, PA, and lost, uh, lost in the quarterfinals. The Northeast Conference actually finished their tournament last year uh, before the sports COVID shutdown. Um, you know, so there there was that sort of closure, that sense of finality. Bryant did get that last year. Uh, they did not get that uh, this season to this point. Um, you know, and we will see. We'll see what happens uh, because the Northeast Conference, being what it is, it's a competitive league. There's not a ton of separation among the top teams. Uh, yes, Bryant swept Merrimack, but um, you know, and they swept Wagner very early in the season. Uh, but that does not mean that Wagner can't beat the Bulldogs in in a one-game format. That does not mean uh, that Sacred Heart, who has not played Bryant, couldn't beat Bryant in a one-game format. Yeah, the conference tournament, Bill, it says just games at the higher seeds. So the two-seed would get a home game, and then depending on the championship, um, if the two or the three wins and the one loses, then the two or the three gets the home home game against the four. So, okay. Uh, but if, if Bryant's the one and they continue to win, they'll, they'll keep playing at the chase. All right, good research. Thank you for that. Um, you know, we will uh, we'll look forward to seeing whether or not Brian is able to take the floor. Uh, follow me in the Providence Journal pages. Follow Maury on WPRI 12 and Fox Providence. Uh, we will have updates as they become available. Um, one thing we do know is that Providence will be back on the floor uh, Wednesday at St. John's. The Friars with two games left in their regular season, St. John's. On Wednesday night, Villanova at home on Saturday. Uh, the Friars in a much different place than the last time they played St. John's. Uh, that was the end of a three-game losing streak. Providence had lost seven of nine after that 92-81 home defeat to the Red Storm. That was on February 6th. The Friars come into this one winners of three out of the last four. Uh, they've gotten a little bit of a break here. They had eight days between UConn and Xavier. Uh, they've had another few days here between Xavier and St. John's. You, it would stand to reason that Providence a little bit fresher team. They've won three out of four. Uh, I don't necessarily see an at-large path to an NCAA bid. Uh, I, I think the Friars played themselves out of that earlier in the year. But I do see a team that is playing better, uh, that does feel better about themselves. I think that's really important going into the stretch, trying to build something for the Big East tournament. Uh, Providence's last game was on Wednesday. It was an 83-68 win over Xavier, a really good performance at both ends of the floor. Uh, in my mind, one of their best of the season. Um, you know, and Maury, I, I look at them going into St. John's on the road. The Red Storm have lost three of their last four. So 
you know, unlike the last time where St. John's was on the winning streak and Providence was struggling, it feels like the roles have reversed a little bit here. It's not about who you play. It's about who you play at what point in the season. And, and St. John's was the hottest team in the, one of the hottest teams in the country the last time Providence played them. Um, yeah, I think, I think the rest has really helped Providence. Ed Cooley talked about it in his media availability Tuesday morning. Uh, just getting Jared Bynum back in the mix, having him and Alan Breed to complement each other has helped uh, both of them as well as David Duke and their entire backcourt uh, along with A.J. Reeves. Greg Gant's been nicked up. Uh, so I think just the time off, only two games in the, in the last 15 days when you count the game against the Johnnies on Wednesday, uh, that, that really should help Providence because after you play Wednesday, then you have Villanova Saturday, and then you have to go try to win three or four in a row uh, at the Big East tournament, so um, I think right now I think Providence is in a, is in a good spot. I think they found a little bit uh, of an identity in terms of pace of play, getting the ball up up the court a little bit better. The defense has seemed to improve. Uh, guys are buying in on that end, um, and then you have guys like Nate Watson who don't want their careers to end. So yeah, um, I think when you when you put all that together, the desperation Providence is playing with um, is 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 at a good level, and, and hopefully you can go and, and you play two teams this week that are beatable. You know, St. John's, you, t- you, you mentioned, have, has lost three or four. You're tied with them in the standings. Providence has done a, a good job, at least in the last few years, of, in really not getting swept by many teams in the Big East. They lost the first game at home. They want to go get some revenge, uh, similar to the game against Xavier when they lost at the buzzer uh, at the Cintas Center. Uh, when the Musketeers came to Providence, it, it was apparent from the start uh, the Providence really wanted to get them. The, the energy yes. was high. The bench was on its feet uh, from tip to horn. So uh, if Providence can go and beat St. John's, you know, then you're, you're above the Johnnies in the standings. Uh, and then you go play Villanova team who didn't look all that great at Butler. Uh, now, sure, that could mean Villanova's beatable. It also might mean Jay Wright you know, rips into his guys and, and <laughs> right. Villanova returns to form. Right. Uh, so you don't really know how that will go. But uh, two teams that, that are beatable – um, and that Villanova game is at home. Uh, we know how well Providence uh, plays at home most of the time. So uh, if you can win these two, Providence w- would have won five of six going into the Big East tournament, a lot right. different than, say, a URI team who's lost six of seven. Uh, and it's all about when you, 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 you head into the conference tournament. So uh, the five seed is still not out of the question, although they do need some help uh, to get a first-round bye. With UConn back in the mix now in 11 teams, the top five get a bye. The bottom six play. Six turns to three. Three play the top five, and there's your quarterfinal. And then you go on to semi semifinal and final. Uh, so I think you know there's still a lot to play for if you're Providence. One, confidence before the Big East tournament. And two, you still have a long shot in getting a bye. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know, looking at Providence's body of work so far. They've not been swept by anyone. Um, you know, St. John's and Villanova could both do that with wins. Uh, Providence has managed to split with everybody else. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to reschedule the Georgetown game, so they would have lost their only matchup with the Hoyas. But otherwise, they've gotten everybody. Um, and so that that certainly is a point of emphasis going into this game. Uh, pacing, I, I think you make a good point. 70 possessions against Xavier. Um, they'd only exceeded that once in their previous six games. Um, and that was against uh, the Red Storm, actually, in, in a loss at home. 72 possessions in that game. Um, you know what St. John's wants to do. They want to get up and down and, and run and press and shoot threes. And you know they have the personnel to do that. Uh, Mike Anderson is a Nolan Richardson disciple. Um, the 40 minutes of hell at Arkansas, that's certainly the system that, that he was brought up in um, and something that he wants to do. But I think in Providence's case, it, it's a good thing for them from the standpoint that you've recruited the athletes to play this way. You know, there's no point in getting three and, uh, you know, high three star and, and four star guys who want to get out in the open court, who are bigger, who are quicker, who are more athletic generally than the opponents they play against. There's no point in holding those guys back and, and you know, sort of having them play a tractor pull in, in a half court setting. You, If you have superior physical talent, why shouldn't you use it? Uh, and I think we saw it against Xavier. Providence at times was just unplayable in that game. Uh, you know, the Musketeers just had their hands full and, and couldn't keep up. Uh, and Providence shooting the ball the way they did obviously had a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, going 11 for 21 from three. But, 
you know, I just thought what Providence did uh, at both ends of the floor, you know, sort of forcing the action, uh, being tough on defense, uh, being good on the glass, taking care of the ball. I, I just think that they did a lot of things really well in that game. I, I think they did a lot of things that can translate against St. John's. Uh, obviously, you just need to focus on the defensive end. You you can't let Julian Champagny get off like he did uh, in that first game. You can't let Rasheem Dunn get off like he did. Uh, Posh Alexander, those three guys really gave PC a hard time in that first meeting. And, and you would have to think um, that there's going to be much more point of emphasis in the scouting, in the video sessions leading into this one. St. John's hung 92 on the Friars at Alumni Hall not too long ago. And we know and we've talked about you know on here all season long how this is statistically one of the worst defensive teams that Ed Cooley's had at Providence. But since that game, Providence has allowed 59, 47, 73, and 68. And they're 8-2 and two this year when they hold teams below 70 points. So 70's always been that magic number for PC. Um, if you can hold teams in the mid to high 60s, and you get an okay, a solid offensive performance, that's usually a recipe for success. Um, and I think that's going to remain true not only the last two games of this regular season, but also once they get to Madison Square Garden. Yeah, only Alabama had more points per possession this year against Providence than St. John's did in the first meeting. And, and we know how good the Crimson Tide are. They're one of the best offenses in the nation. Uh, you know, seven in Ken Palm right now as we speak. Uh, eight in Ken Palm overall, 39 in offense. But in terms of tempo, they only take 14 seconds on the shot clock every time. That's second. Uh, you know, shooting threes with reckless abandon. Nate Oates uh, has done a, a tremendous job um, there, the former high school coach of, of E.C. Matthews. He is a long way from Romulus, Michigan, literally and figuratively, uh, one of the brightest young coaches in college basketball. Um, you know, so if you consider that, that St. John's has the same sort of firepower, wants to play the same sort of way, uh, it's up to Providence to find a way to slow them down and, and continue uh, the decent form that they have shown uh, over their last couple weeks or so. Uh, Maury, you know, just looking at, um, you know, something that Ed Cooley broached in, in the uh, in a Zoom session earlier today. He was asked by Kevin McNamara about his potential award winners in the Big East, whether it be Coach of the Year, Player of the Year. Um, and I think that maybe we should take a look at that, Yeah, uh, you know, in the Big East, in the NEC and, and in the A-10, um, you know, the A-10 obviously is done. The Big East still has a week left, uh, so not all cases have been made quite yet there. Uh, the Northeast Conference is, is just about over. Um, you know, let's start in the A-10, just in terms of, um, you know, player of the year, coach of the year, if, if you have any guys who immediately jump to mind, who, who do you feel like is deserving? Well, I think it's Bones Highland uh, in the A-10 as your player of the year. Um, statistically, and also just what he's meant to VCU, a team that was picked middle to the bottom half. Yeah, ninth, um, I think it was. Of the league. Really young, unproven, coming in after they had lost a lot of senior leadership uh, the last couple of years. And then you lose a transfer um, in Marcos Santos Silva to uh, Texas Tech. So I think Bones Highland really, uh, really surprised a lot of people. We knew what he was capable of, but he, but he put it. Uh, put it out on the floor night in and night out and averaged 19.2 points per game. And VCU was right there for the running for an A-10 regular season championship right up into the last game. Um, so they finish in second place. I think it's him in terms of player. In terms of coach, I think that's a little bit more difficult. Um, I mean, I think it's got to be Mark Schmidt's your front runner. Uh, first championship in, le- in school history yep. um, in the league. But why not Mike Rhodes too? You know, you got to throw him in the, in the conversation as right. well um, for all the points that we just made about why Bones Highland is the Player of the Year. Yeah, two man race for me: uh, Mark Schmidt and, and Mike Rhodes. I, I don't really, you know, with all due respect to the rest of the coaches in the league, I, I don't necessarily think that anyone is all that close to the two of them in this particular season. Uh, I, I think. You know, Mark Schmidt doing what he does at St. Bonaventure. It's their first regular season conference title in the A-10. Uh, for anyone who has been to Ole in New York, it is a difficult place to recruit to. Um, you know, really, truly, the middle of nowhere in western New York. Um, and what Schmidt has been able to do year over year, 
This is their fifth straight top five finish in the league standings. He's able to recruit a small core of players, retain those players. They do not transfer, whether it's Osunii, uh, Lofton, uh, you know, previous years had Jalen Adams. Um, Denzel Gregg was an under-recruited guy who he developed into a six-man of the year. Um, he's able to hit the lottery uh, on the JUCO scene with guys like Courtney Stockard and Matt Mobley. Uh, those guys ended up being all-conference-type players. Um, so his identification, his player development, uh, their cohesiveness, I think he's just done an excellent job year in and year out. I would give him the slight edge over Mike Rhodes, who has done no less this season, um, but theoretically is working with more at VCU uh, in terms of program enhancements, uh, in terms of geography. Uh, he just has a few more advantages, I think, than, than Mark Schmidt. Uh, you know, so I would probably go that way. In terms of player of the year, I, I agree with you. Bones Highland makes a very strong case. Um, my personal preference might be a bit of a controversial one because I don't know if they've played enough games, but I'd probably lean towards Jordan Goodwin at St. Louis. Uh, I, I just think from a physical perspective, he's probably the toughest matchup in the league. Um, a six-six guy who plays like a power forward. He's a double-double threat every night. He's the clear leader on that team. Um, and if you were going to have Vegas betting lines for this tournament, I would imagine that St. Louis, even though they are the four seed, could be the favorite going into this week uh, and then into Championship Sunday in Dayton. Um, you know, so I, I would probably lean towards Jordan Goodwin. I would expect it to be one of those two guys. I, I don't necessarily think that Bones Island would be a wrong choice by, by any stretch of the imagination. They both had really good years. Uh, Bones is probably the best scorer in the league with the ball in his hands. Um, his skill set, his quickness, uh, and just his size at six foot five. he's a really – difficult matchup um you know really special kid there uh you know somebody that uh you would expect vcu to retain and somebody who looks like you know honestly in a year or two could sneak into the g league maybe the back end of the nba he has that kind of skill set those kind of physical uh physical measurables um you know we go to the big east uh you know this is there, there are some really difficult discussions in the Big East, um, you know, because a lot of the games played are, are uneven here, um, you know. And I'm, I'm looking specifically at UConn and James Booknight, uh, Dave Borges, who writes for the New Haven Register, has covered uh, UConn for for a long time. Um, had a really good piece earlier this week about how you evaluate James Booknight and and his candidacy for potential postseason honors at UConn. Um, The fact is, he's only played 10 games. In those 10 games, he's probably been the best player in the league. Uh, Certainly the player in the league with the highest pro upside. Uh, He's he's a projected lottery pick in this year's draft if he comes out. Um, Whether or not he's deserving of the award, having only played 10 games, that's more of a philosophical discussion uh, that the coaches could have. I would imagine that some would be okay with it and some would say 10 games isn't enough. I'd rather vote for a guy who's played 20 games or 25 games and who is on you know one of the best teams in the league, which leads to Jeremiah Robinson Earl or Colin Gillespie at Villanova. You would imagine that, that the two of them would be leading candidates. You would think that Sandro Mamakalashvili at Seton Hall would be a leading candidate. Uh, David Duke would be in that conversation as well. He's had a really good year at Providence. Um, you know, maybe had a five or six game stretch where he wasn't at his best, uh, but certainly is deserving of, you know, first team all conference um, and someone whose name will be brought up into that player of the year discussion. I, I wonder, you know, how you see that in terms of book nights, candidacy and, you know, the, the other guys at large. I mean, I'm, I, I read the piece. It was really good. Um, I'm with you. I think you have to give the player the benefit of the doubt. Um so I, w- I would lean to, to having Book Knight potentially on a first team, you know, definitely a second team. Um, as far as player of the year, I think that's where the sample size isn't big enough. So I think you can put a player, even though there's a, s- a smaller sample size, on a first or second team, you just can't give them that prestigious award of player of the year. Um, so I think that's why, you know, when, when Ed Cooley said this morning, you know, he likes to give awards to winners, you have to look at, at the top couple teams, um, and that's Villanova and Creighton. Um, Seton Hall's up there as well, uh, depending on how they finish the regular season uh, in their last couple games. So um, there's a couple good candidates, but but it's hard. You're, you're splitting hairs here. 
Uh, there's a lot of players that you could put. And then this just this just furthers the discussion into, okay, sure, player of the year is really difficult. First team is going to be really hard. Second team is going to be really hard. Um, I mean, there's there's 20 players in this league, um, or f- 15 players, let me say, in this league as I look at it, that you know on any given night could be the best player in the league. Um, all the way down to, you know, when, if you're just looking at the top scores, Colin Gillespie's at 12. Um, and Denzel Mahoney, who's been solid for Creighton, is at 13. So, so there's a bunch of guys uh, who, who on any given night could be, could be the best player in the league. Um, I would probably have to lean to Jeremiah Robinson, Earl. Agreed. Um, I would too. If, if I had to go with one right now. And then, and then for Coach of the Year, I think it's got to be Jay Wright. I think just in a year where there's been so many different – pauses and 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 challenges and hurdles for, for teams um i think at the end of the day if you can have your team be the best team in the big east conference mike anderson's done a fantastic job at st john's but if they don't finish even at 500 right hard to pick a coach you know who, who doesn't at least finish 500 in, in the league uh despite what the expectations were at the beginning of the season so uh, i think right now the leaders have to be Robinson Earl for player and Jay Wright for coach. No, I think you nail it. I, I would agree with Robinson Earl. Uh, in the coaching discussion, I, I think you frame it really well. Um, the fact that Jay Wright has Villanova in first place, they're, they're looking at a, you know, right now, a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, they've probably given away their chances of being a one with that loss at Butler. Uh, and, and even those were backdoor chances at best. Um, you know, but generally, has anyone taken it from Jay Wright? Have, have any other coaches, you know, done something that's worthy of taking that from Jay Wright? Uh, you know, the guy you would look at is probably Mike Anderson. And, and as you said, um, you know, St. John's was in NCAA contention, has played their way out, uh, would need a big finish here in the regular season and then in the Big East tournament to get back on that radar. Uh, if they are able to finish over 500 in the league, um, you know, you look at their history recently in the league. Uh, they were five and thirteen last year in Mike Anderson's first year, uh, and prior to that with Chris Mullen, they were under five hundred all four seasons. Uh, the last time St. John's was over five hundred in the Big East was the last year of Steve Lavin. They were ten and eight. That was in twenty fourteen fifteen. Um, you know, so St. John's has been down for a while. Mike Anderson has made them a mid pack contender at worst. Uh, you wonder where he can take this. Going forward, if he's able to keep Champagny, if he doesn't go in the draft, you've got Alexander, uh, Vince Cole, Greg Williams, all underclassmen, Rasheem Dunn, who could come back for a fifth year. That's a really nice core coming into next season. That's a team that you would project to finish in the top half of the league. Um, but as you said, you'd like to see him finish at or above 500. You'd feel a lot better casting your vote for him if he's at or above 500. But I, I certainly think that he's the other candidate to look at along with Jay Wright. And I think Danny Hurley might get slated in this conversation. If he has a healthy James Book night, you, right now UConn's 9-6. and six. Right. If they go win two games when James, Bo- James Book night's out, and UConn's 10-4, and four, a half game behind Villanova, sure, they lost to Villanova that, the one time they've played, but UConn has Seton Hall and Georgetown still to play. They could easily finish 11-6. and six. And if you're 11-6 and six, and then your star player was out, and you have two more wins, well, that's 13-4. and four. Then I think Danny Hurley would have had a serious case, and I think he's the guy that's going to get lost in the shuffle um, because you're going to look at right at the top of the league, and then you're going to look at Mike Anderson, who brought a St. John's team to finish in the middle of the pack when they were picked you know, toward the bottom of the league. So I think Danny Hurley, uh, there's going to be some people out in stores and across Connecticut that are going to want to have a word, as long as the Huskies can win the last two games of the regular season. And that's kind of how I'm framing this argument is, if they can win the last two and they finish 11-6, and six, well, wow, that really could have been 12-5, and five, maybe 13-4. and four. And there will be 10 other fan bases in the Big East that will be thoroughly pissed off <laughs> if Dan Hurley's the coach of the year. Uh, as we know, as we saw during his time in Rhode Island, uh, Danny does not exactly endear himself uh, to other fan bases elsewhere. Um, I personally get along with him well. I thought he was terrific to work with, uh, but I can understand why he might rub you the wrong way. Uh, you know that sort of Jersey blue-collar grittiness. Uh, you know some histrionics on the sidelines. <laughs> Those don't necessarily go over all that well. Uh, you would imagine how they would have played out in full Big East buildings this year. Yep. Uh, they would have been very eager to welcome Dan back. Uh, then in the Northeast Conference, um, you know, in terms of 
Coach of the year. Uh, I don't think we have to look too far, do we? Nope. I think I see him. He's in there. He's there in Smithfield, Rhode Island, about 15 miles north of here. Yeah. Uh, my vote would go to Jared Grasso. Uh, it is a homer pick, of course, but I also think it's a deserved pick. It is. Uh, you know, Bryant, being who they are and, and what they've been in recent years, the fact they were a three-win team uh, when he took over, the fact that this is their best 19-game start uh, in program history, that they were in position to win an NEC regular season title. Uh, yes, they were picked tied third preseason. I understand that folks looked at them and thought that they would be a contender. I, I get that. Um, you know, and, and yes, they have overperformed that a little bit. You know, maybe not as much as, as some other teams have. Um, you know, but I look at the total body of work, the fact that you know, they nearly won at Syracuse in the season opener. The fact they won at UMass. Uh, the fact that Fairleigh Dickinson is the only team to have swept them this season. Um, that they were able to come off COVID pause and win four games in a row uh, and put themselves in position to be the top seed in the conference tournament. Uh, to put themselves in position to host a first Northeast Conference semifinal in program history. Uh, I think he's done a terrific job. Um, you know, I, I would look at... You know, other candidates here, obviously Wagner, uh, you know, with Bashir Mason, they were picked, you know, toward the bottom of the league. It looks like they're going to finish second, uh, if not first, if, if Brian is knocked out here uh, due to COVID. Um, you know, Bashir Mason, still still one of the youngest coaches in Division I, uh, and he's been at it since 2012-13 when Dan Hurley left for Rhode Island. Uh, you know, really a, a, an impressive guy there, someone who does a really good job at, at a tough place uh, in Wagner. Um, you know, I, I, I would certainly look at him alongside Grasso as, as the two leading candidates. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I just think that where Bryant was the last couple of years, um, I think it, I think it's just got to be Grasso, uh, especially if they can finish first. Um, I think he's, he's he would be my vote as of right now. Player, again, similar to the Big East, is, is sort of a tough conversation, Bill. Yeah, uh, a muddled field. To be sure, um, you know a lot of good candidates there. I, I I don't necessarily know, you know, what sort of conclusion the NEC coach is going to draw here. Uh, you would expect to see Peter Kiss in that conversation. You'd expect to see Michael Green the third in that conversation uh, among Bryant players who who could be uh, up for the award. Uh, I would look at Ty Flowers from Long Island. I think he's really good. Me too. Uh, probably the best guy I saw in person on an opposing team this year. Um, you know, I know that Fairleigh Dickinson hasn't had the season that they would have liked to have uh, just in the small sample two games against Bryant. Jaleel Jenkins was really good in, in both of those games. You know he's a good player. Um, don't necessarily know if, if he has done enough. Uh, in terms of Wagner, we mentioned Bashir Mason. Alex Morales has had a really good year for Wagner. Um, you know, senior forward out of Patterson, New Jersey. You want to talk about tough. Uh, if you can get players out of Patterson, New Jersey, they're going to come in with dirt under their fingernails and, and really work for you. Um, you know, so that's a, a name that I would expect to see as well. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know, just in terms of the conference wide, I, I don't necessarily know if the candidates are as clear-cut as they are in the other two discussions that we've had. No, I don't think they are. But I think another thing you have to t- we have to talk about and mention is, Bryant, I believe – uh, but trying to do this as you were just talking, I believe they're the only team in the in the conference with four scores in the top 19. So then, when you start to kind of dissect some of the numbers, sure, you have to give an advantage to uh, the teams that are at the top. And Bryant right now is is, is number one, and, and Peter Kiss's top five score in the league. He also averages you know one to two to three shots less. Uh, and his field goal percentage is higher than than most others. Right. Um, and so that means he's sharing the rock. That means he's on the best team. So you can't necessarily say, oh, well, because since he's not the guy on the team, maybe his points, instead of 17 points a game, maybe he'd be at 20 or 21 or 22 if he didn't have the supporting cast he does. Right. So you don't want the talent of Michael Green III, Chuck Pride, um, and... Uh, Chris Childs to kind of bring his his candidacy down. Uh, that's why I think I would lean Peter Kiss as of right now. But I'm I'm all with you. I think Ty Flowers is impressive in person. We got to see him the, uh, last weekend. Tyler Thomas, uh, solid for Sacred Heart. The good thing is all those top scores in the league are teams either in the playoffs or kind of right on the cusp. So it makes it a little bit easier of a conversation. And then if you don't get player, you kind of have your four or five already carved out for first team. 
Um, but again, I think I'd go with, with Kiss and, and Grosso as of right now. Those honors will be coming out at some point uh, later this week, we would imagine, leading into the scheduled semifinals this weekend. Uh, Maury, got anything else? No, I think I think that's it. Let's end the podcast on a more positive note than I started. I apologize. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you listening, and uh, it's always a blast coming on every other week and, and the weeks that I'm not on listening with, to you and Coit. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we have a, a few more of these. If Brian can make a little run, then we're talking some big dance and uh, – and and nationally, so I can't believe we're less than two weeks away from Selection Sunday. No, and reflecting March in the calendar, we're going to try and ramp these up potentially to two a week. Uh, Love and, it. And possibly... Get all three of us on at once? Possibly before the NCAA tournament, uh, when the brackets come out, we might have to run a little bit of a three-man weave here in the studio. Love it. Uh, get our sleepers, uh, you know, get our final four picks, um, and get ready for what is certain to be anarchy in Indianapolis, uh, an NCAA tournament like no other that we have ever seen. Um, you know, certainly a unique month. Uh, we're thrilled to be talking about the games uh, after the past year, considering what has gone on here. We're thrilled that we are on the cusp of conference tournaments here. It is the best time of the year in college basketball. We can't wait to share it with you. Thank you very much for listening.